the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Celebrity couples keep breaking up, but why do we even care? And later, normal things from the 90s and early 2000s that are now luxuries. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. So glad that you are with us today. If you've missed any of today's show, we would love to invite you to go back, catch up on the old podcast. It's fun because it's a daily podcast. Every day. Every single day. You can hear Brian and I pontificate pastorally about news of the day. Here's some of our special guests. So we would love you to subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast wherever it is you stream or download your podcast. We also love engaging with you on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on Instagram. Brian, do you have a favorite celebrity couple? I know you're a People Magazine guy, so do you have like a couple ooh. that you're like, ooh, I like them. They're cute. You know what I always like? I always like celebrity couples that have been married for a long time. Like, yeah. Because, oh, I know we're about to talk about celebrity couples breaking up, but yeah. there are some that you're like, Kevin Bacon and what's her name? Kira, Kira Sedgwick. Sedgwick. They've been married like yeah. 35 years. Or That's Matthew a- Broderick and uh, Jessica, Sarah, Jessica, Sarah Parker. Jessica Parker. They've been married for uh-huh. really long. Like, they're like, this is the most People magazine thing ever. Say they're like regular people, right? Like <laughs> uh, because celebs, you are so like used us. to like the married celebrity couple, and you're like, all right, they'll go six years, right? Totally, they'll break up. And it is funny. I read. I was just reading this yesterday. A funny story of because you know I love The Office. So Pam from The Office, uh-huh. Jenna Fisher. Yep. Obviously, this goes without saying, but people like she has a husband. Yeah. And. Uh, John Krasinski, who played Jim, has a wife, Emily Blunt, I think, right? right? She's famous. And uh, so did you know, by the way, Pam's, or Pam, I called her Pam, Jenna Fisher's husband made a cameo on the show. Oh. When when Pam, it's a very funny cameo for what I'm about to describe. Yeah. When you watch The Office, right? Of course, yeah. When Pam has her first baby and is in the hospital and... The male doctor comes in to help her because she's not she's not producing milk. Oh, and says and Jim keeps watching this male doctor like have to like help her try to breastfeed. That's her real husband. Okay, that is amazing. I so love that. I love that. She tells this story. Of, she was on the one of the shows uh, that I saw this clip, and she tells this story that regularly people will get. She'll be out in public, and people will look at her husband and go, "You're not Jim." Oh, funny. <laughs> And, like, get mad because they were such an enduring couple. Uh, So, anyway, I do like to see... You know what other couple I like? What's that? Uh, Matt Damon is married... Oh, yeah, to a non-celeb. A complete non-celebrity. Like, and you're like, that's nice. I like like that. that. Denzel Washington has been married to his wife forever, and she's a non-celeb. And I like that, too. I'm not sure why I like that, but it's just something like... 
It feels like the normalcy thing. Like, okay, yep. you're normal. Okay, so these couples uh, last week, big news, Joe Jonas filed for divorce from Sophie Turner this week. That was one I would have said they will never make it, this couple. <laughs> she I was, don't know where she, she is. She was an actress on Game of Thrones and probably okay. didn't watch because Christians were, weren't supposed to watch it. I did watch it. Bad Christian. And Joe Jonas, you know, part of the Jonas Brothers, and they're, they just always seemed like intense and dramatic and this is quite an assumption that is unfair of me to say but they always seemed like they were like drunk or partying or something like that in their socials so i was always like this relationship is doomed but i do think they have a baby so then you're like really heartbreaking for really heartbroken for them but fans were going crazy okay other big name breakups in the past few months, Taylor Swift and Joel Alwyn, they'd been together for like four years. Her longest relationship, right. they broke up. Reith Witherspoon and Jim Toth broke up. Kylie Jenner and Travis Scott. Kevin Costner and his wife, Christine Baumgartner, they've been married for a very long time. They broke up re- uh, recently as well. Britney Spears, uh, who I she's had many relationships. Many, so I yes. didn't even know she was married to this guy, Sam Ascari, but they've broken up. Uh, anyway, lots of celebrity, lots of celebrity figures breaking up. Here's a question. Why do we care? I guess that, that goes back to why do we care about anything celebrity wise, right? Yeah, yeah. Like we have a celebrity driven culture and I mm-hmm. get it. I play into it. I'm like, like you said, I'm at the doctor's office. I'm looking for the newest people magazine. Totally. Like, That's I the love best to do these stuff things. to read. But and so it is a bigger question as to why do we even care at all? Yeah. And then I think there's the, um, you know, it's hard to drive by a an accident and not look. Yeah. That's why traffic slows down when there's that's, an accident. That's true. And I suppose it's just a good break from our lives. Yeah. And, yo, look at them. Like, I don't think we wish them to break up. No. But we also expect many of them to. Yeah. It's like there's a certain line. Once they reach them, they they make it, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the ones we described before mm-hmm. who have been 35 years or this or that. Um, but, you know, it's like watching a car wreck. It yeah, really that's, is. Yeah, that's a piece of it. So it's funny. NPR is actually talking about this. They interviewed a clinical psychologist and breakup coach. Her name's Dr. Dr. Andrea Liner. A breakup coach? Yeah, apparently a breakup coach. And they ask her, like, what's the deal? Why do we care about this? And she says a couple things. One, she says... um, Celebrities share so much of their lives online that you have an artificial sense of intimacy with them. And so that can obscure what's happening behind the scenes. And so my assumption with that is then you like you do feel the pain when they break up because you think you know them. Right. So you feel like how it's almost like how do my parents break up when you're looking at some of these celebrity cultures? These are my friends. How did they break up? Another thing that we do is because she's, she says public figures like celebrities sort of represent something to us. Mm. Hashtag life goals, right? Like they're attractive. They're wealthy. They're considered successful. We assume that makes them immune to life problems. And so it just like startled us, uh, startles us when these people who kind of are our highest goals break up. Then she said it's kind of what your thing too the the traffic accident like she says sometimes you actually want to hear that celebrities don't do well because like <laughs> somehow we enjoy that but it is wild to me like these celebrity relationships 
really, you don't know them, so who really cares? But we do. We care and we get invested. And for some people, they get really shaken about it. Like they over identify, I think, with Taylor that Swift couple. Fans. Taylor yes. Swift fans. And so it is something, I think, to note in us. I did, Brian, uh, hear some news about your favorite. British celebrity couple. Just a matter of time. Meghan Markle and (laughs) Prince Harry. uh, He's at Invictus Games in Dusseldorf, Germany. Meghan Markle went to In-N-Out drive-thru. That's the big news about them. It's not very scandalous, but I just wanted you to know. If I were writing the script, like... It's going to take a heel turn, and then he's going to end up reconciling with his brother and his dad. He's going to... It's not going to happen, but you know. Yeah, you want them to reconcile, don't you? I do. Can they reconcile when, while they're still married? While Meghan and Harry are still married? Or do you think Isn't that has to be bad that it for... doesn't feel like... doesn't feel like that's the case. I don't know. It doesn't yeah, they feel don't, like that's They don't possible. like her in England. I was on the UK Daily Mail just to see if I could find some info for you. And they do not like Meghan Markle over there for sure. All right. Well, celebrity couples, here we are talking about them. Why are we obsessed with them? Kind of interesting. Let us know what you think on our social media at Common Good Talk. Okay, I read this, Brian, and I was like, what? Some schools across the country beginning to require masks because COVID is on the rise. Let's talk about that fun conversation when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Brian, I don't know about you, but left and right, people around me are getting COVID. I'm sort it of, does. I some people like miss church like, this week for COVID. It's like creeping in. I'm yeah. sort of like waiting, like, when am I going to get it? I hope I don't get it. I'm probably going to get it. It just seems like COVID is, quote unquote, in the air again. Here's something that surprised me. I'll be interested to know what you think. Newsweek did a story that Rosemary Hills, a school in Maryland, sent a letter to parents last week announcing a return to mask mandates for 10 days because three individuals at the school tested positive for COVID-19. There is a list now of schools in Alabama, other places across the country that are doing either mask mandates or mask suggestions, not requirements, but strongly encouraged um, Dillard University, historically black university in Louisiana, announced that they were mandating indoor masks for all students. Uh, that was just for a two week period. So it seems like some of these schools, colleges and elementary schools even that are doing mask mandates are doing so for a season, a week, two week period, something like that. But this is a question, right? Like you and I even talked about this a few weeks ago. There's no way there's going to be mask mandates again. How is this happening? And now we're seeing it. Is this on the rise? Is this a fluke? Is this just a one-off thing? Like, what do you think? So I don't think this is going to be a normal thing. Um, I think here... I am not a COVID denier, right? COVID's a thing. Yeah. COVID is definitely a thing. Yeah. But I think we've gotten good at dealing with it. Like, it's not a thing like it was in 2020 or 2021. That's definitely true. This is where I get bothered, though, Aubrey, is I just don't know that people are honest. Like, Mm. people, you have to pick a side. It always feels like with COVID, Mm. right? You've had to pick a side. It feels like most of the scientific statistical like let's look at this 
All right, let's make some people mad. Calls into question that whether at all masks work. Mm. And so it feels like a reactionary, like, there's COVID here. Let's all wear masks. With Instead of going, did masks make any difference? Do they work? Right, Do they, like, right, right. I think we need to be people who go, COVID's a thing. Yep. Uh, if you get it, stay home. Uh, it's for most of you who are younger and healthy, it's not going to be a huge you'll deal. You'll get sick, but you'll be okay. If you want to wear a mask, by all means, wear you, a mask. it's always been the way we live in our country. Yep. You do whatever you want. You yep. can wear whatever you want. If you want to yep. wear a mask. But I hope that the days of us going reflexively, like mm-hmm. COVID's here, you must wear a mask. I re- let alone, we're going to shut this down. Yeah. I hope those days are over. And I was one who wore the masks when they asked us to wear the masks, who closed our church when they asked us to close our church. I don't think there's an appetite for any of that culturally right now. And I think think if you're sick, stay home. If if you're scared and you think a mask is going to make a difference, wear a mask. But I would not be a supporter of mandates mandates going forward at all i just wouldn't and i think i know i think there's a lot of people like me who did what they were asked to do before but wouldn't do it again i i so i think that's ultimately it like at the end of the day i think we all did this like grand experiment and i'm with you i wore masks we closed our church like we did everything we were supposed to do we lost uh, a dear family member to covid we lost a young man in our church to covid that's right So, like, I deeply feel the effects and impact of COVID. I, at the end of the day, think we are too American for us to be like, yes, we'll all put on masks again, even if it's for two weeks. Like, I just don't see this happening. I think people will lose their minds. I think people will pull their kids out of school. I think I'm guessing more and more schools are going to say we suggest it, but we won't mandate it. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. And I think you're right. If you want to wear a mask, I think you should wear a mask. And actually, I'll go a little further than you. I think if you're around someone vulnerable, you should wear a mask. Like, especially as a Christian, you need to put that other person's health and well-being before your own. So I, I would say all the time, do it. I also think airplanes are just gross. Like, maybe we should all wear masks anyway because we all get sick when we travel. But the mask mandate across the board, I just do not see it happening. And it's hard because I get what you're saying about, like, you would do it if somebody was vulnerable around you. Yeah. It's just hard because a lot of the data says, especially the masks most of us wear, don't really do anything. Yeah, yeah. And so it becomes performative and it becomes this and that. And so... But if it makes someone feel safe, that's more than performative. That's putting your neighbor first. Yes, yes, for sure. Although the putting your neighbor first was used very liberally by a lot of people. Yeah, that's true. uh, In 2020 and 2021. That's true. Like, what would you do if somebody came to you and said, hey, the neighborly thing to do is to close your church again? I'd be like, no, I'm not doing that. We're not going to do that. We need to be able to have an adult conversation about. So, yeah, if I was going to a family gathering and somebody said, hey, so-and-so will not come unless we wear a mask. So you had the choice between loved one coming or not, I might go roll my eyes and be like, I can't believe we're doing this again. But you do it. But I would do it so yeah. they could be there. Yeah, but totally. I, I, 
Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I think the appetites of our country have changed a lot. Totally. And and I think it should change it should a lot. It should change. Be- we can't, we're not in a pandemic anymore and we can't keep living we like We know it. how to live with this. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I don't live with fear of getting COVID. I don't know a lot of people who do. Uh, but you know what? A guy from church the other day uh, texted us, said, hey, I have COVID. I'm not going to be there today. Yeah. And we were like, oh. That's too bad for you, man. Hope you feel better yeah. soon. It wasn't like if he had texted us that in April of 2020. You would have been like so worried. I right? would have been calling the elders. We need yep. to be praying. We yep. need to be doing. It's just a different season. And that's good. It is and a different so, season. Uh, I don't. If my kid's school sent home an email saying we're going to mass. Yeah. Like, I would have a problem. I'm not going to probably be one of these loud vocal. I'm protesting the school. Would people. you pull your kids out of school? You think? If they had to wear a mask. Yeah. No, yeah. I wouldn't pull them out of school. Yeah. That feels like I'm using my kids yeah. to make a point. Yeah. Uh I would probably want I, I wouldn't lead the charge, but if there was a charge of people like we're just not gonna do it, I'd probably tell my kids, you do what you want. You do whatever you feel comfortable yeah, doing. You do what yeah. you want. And yeah. you know, I am a complier in the sense of like I don't like to rock the boat with people I like, mm-hmm. right? Like I appreciate the mm-hmm. school and I like it, so I'm trying to picture how that would go. Yeah. Uh but yeah, it just feels, yeah, it just feels like we're at a completely, like the people who are like, hey, we're going to do masks again. I almost think like, what year do you think we're in? Right. Like, what do you think is going on here? Right, right. And at the end of the day, like if this thing keeps morphing and there's new versions of it, like we're just, it's going to, COVID's just going to be like. The new flu, right? And I, I'm not trying to be flippant about that, but like at some point we have learned how to live with the flu. Mm-hmm. And like certainly you don't go to school if you're sick. Certainly you stay away from people. Certainly like we all try to avoid it. But at the end of the day, like y- you learn to continue to test, do life. Would you test you or your kids for COVID right now if you had a cold? Yeah. Well, if it was a fever, like if it, I mean, just a cold, I think I would know it was a cold. But yeah, if they had a fever or something like that, I definitely would. Yeah. You wouldn't? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I only know <laughs> I the answer to that because my sick was, my kid was really sick last week and we tested him for COVID like three or four times because we like weren't sure, like, should he go to school? Should he not? He never had it. So it was fine. He tested negative like five times. But like, I also know, I wonder what the move is if you test positive today. Yeah. Like, Obviously, you keep your kid home from school. Yeah, if they, if they, if they have but fever in their. Do you remember twenty twenty one when you got COVID? You emailed everybody you knew. Oh yeah. I got COVID and sent an all church email just going, uh, "Hey, I was shaking everybody's hands <laughs> yeah. yesterday." No, I don't I think we, I don't think you do that now, anymore. Right? Yeah. yeah, you definitely yeah. don't do that anymore. All right. Well, we're gonna look outside of the United States for a little bit at churches in the United Kingdom. What is God doing there, and what can we learn from them? You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. You sounded confused about your own name there. I had a moment. You know what it was? We're about to talk about encouraging trends in the UK. And I read encouraging as I... We're just going to give you some behind-the-scenes moments here. As I was saying Sampson, and it was about to come out, Samsing. 
Oh. Encouraging Samson, Samson. And I, that's why I sort of questioned and paused myself. That's I mean, what was happening. Uh, there's a lot of us out there that struggle with certain things. Saying our own names, is that's a that's new level. Let's try to say your name with a British accent because we're about I to talk about accent, UK so you churches. Brian Fromm. <laughs> that's exactly how all British people say. Hello, my name is Brian Fromm. From the Commonwealth of the Common Good, <laughs> and I an love Megan and Harry. That is an awful I British accent. I eat biscuits and pickle sandwiches. That is awful, <laughs> awful British accent. Let's There's some hear accents. you try that. No, no, I already, I already said I can't. <laughs> There's some that you do wonderfully. Are uh, there? Your your Irish accent is that your uh, Lucky Charms one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give me some Lucky Charms. See, the pots of gold. No, that one's bad. That one's bad. I do like it. You know what accent I like? Speaking of UK, I like a Scottish accent. I can't do it, but I sure do like it. Yeah, I'm bad with accents. I'm I'm making fun of your accent, and then I'm telling you I, I can't do them. Yeah, so. I know. All right. Speaking of England, where they they wouldn't say they have an accent, but we would. Uh, our old friend Ed Stetzer, Brian's talking about the time he spent living in England recently. Uh, he and his wife there, he and his wife Donna lived there, how long? Do you know? I think it was like while he was on sabbatical or something, right? I think it was too. And I actually think his mom is British. So I think he's got like, England is in him. But uh, he's been going back and forth basically, kind of observing and interacting with some churches in England. He said he's interacted with Anglicans as well as Vineyard churches, some other churches as well. And apparently a superintendent by the name of Chris Cartwright asked him to share some observations about the church in the UK. He says, this can be dangerous as I'm just an observer and a brief one at that. But in my time here, I've observed three helpful and encouraging trends from evangelical churches in the UK. Number one is this relationships are important. He says he noticed how evangelical believers in the UK seek to maintain friendly relationships with people who have a common view of the gospel, even though they have some theologically divergent views. Another way of saying this is I don't see the level of tribalism common in many denominations and groups in the U.S. Or I don't see the level. So the tribalism we have here in our denominations and groups in the United States, he is not seeing that in England. Mm. He says maybe it's because we enjoy a greater opulence and opportunities in America as compared to the British context. We have so many Christian organizations, networks, denominations, schools, megachurches. Other ways that hold levels of influence here more than in the UK. But what he does says is that influence can have an unintentional consequence of focusing more on a given network, organization or tradition than on relationships across the body. Because we can forget such blessings, we tend to focus more on our disagreements rather than things we hold in common. Well, that's interesting. Any thoughts on that? I find it hard to believe. Oh, do you? It feels like Christians are Christians, like some of these things, but it could be true. And maybe his talk about they're not mega churches over there. It's just a different feel. Maybe the feel that it's like less Christianized. 
could play into all of that. Mm-hmm. But I, I do find it interesting. I hope it's the case. It'd be nice if we had that over here. Yeah, I, I think that would be really helpful if we could somehow get outside of our tribalism and work together for the gospel. Tribalism is in, is problematic, for sure. All right. Number two, he says, uh, the UK seems to have clear focus on mission. He says, uh, mission in the UK seems to be a more clear priority. There is a greater awareness that churches sit in a mission field that must be their focus. I'm still trying to persuade evangelical leaders of the need to focus more on mission in their given context. Here it seems that people in the churches I've been in and believers I've interacted with more naturally think that way. To be clear, the churches I've been to are more are not representative of all churches in the British Isles, the ones he's been to. He says uh, it's been encouraging to see them engage their community, serve others in Jesus's name. I, that one, I, I think I, I can totally see that like we're way too divided and tribalist here. This one, I think a lot of churches are living on mission. A lot of churches I know. So I think the difference here is this is a great message about context, right? Yeah. Like understanding your context because, um, the right. In our country, we have a Bible belt. Yes. We can easily start to believe that everybody's Christian. Totally. Or that everybody knows about Christ. And so it becomes totally. much easier to become tribal and become not beyond mission and all yep. of these things. Yep. When in fact, one thing we know about England and uh, in Europe is it's not, there's not a Bible belt. Right, right. And so it is for those who are Christians it's a lot easier to probably remember the mission that is that is necessary. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah totally. That makes so a lot of I sense. I think this has to do with with like the Bible Belt. Uh, like it feels a little different, not here, but like if you were to be in uh, New York City, when mm-hmm. you read all the stuff Keller wrote and stuff, that has this feel yeah, to it. Yeah, totally. Probably a little less totally um, tribalism and a little bit less of that than you might find in, say, Oklahoma or yeah. Nashville or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. A desire for more and better evangelism is the third thing Ed Setzer saying. He says uh, he sees an appropriate angst about evangelism in the UK, recognizing that evangelism is a problem is the first step to resolving it. I'm not sure the American church predominantly sees how much an evangelism lull there is across the country. That is so true. There is an evangelism lull. Mm. In the UK, people want to learn more about evangelism. They're seeking diligently to figure out ways to engage people in a post-Christendom setting, engage people for Jesus. People are asking, who does that well? What does that look like? How do we do that in a secularized culture? This is interesting. He says an interesting facet of this relates to the coronation of King Charles III. Huh. I've been fascinated to observe the debate happening after the death of Her Majesty the Queen. Is King Charles the defender of the faiths or defender of the faith? Right. He originally said defender of faiths in a controversial statement in 1994 2015 clarified he meant the faith, though he would protect other faiths as well. The archbishop says the faith referring to Christianity. This is so fascinating. But the question paints a picture, Ed Stetzer says, of the moment we're in with the transition from the queen to the new king. The final Christmas message by Queen Elizabeth so clearly spoke of Christ that we would all say amen to it. But... My friend Trevin Wax, this is Ed Stetzer talking, made the point in his tweet at her death where he said the death of the queen feels weighty 
because it marks the passing not of a woman, but of a world. And what does it look like in the different world where we find ourselves? So mm. that's interesting just to think Your through. Your friend, like, Trevin Wax, I was about to say, also my friend, Trevin Wax, little baby Trevin. I, I do. It is interesting. All of these things point out, I think, the difference culturally. Yeah, absolutely. Of what's going on across the pond, as they like to say in here. I'm not sure they're better Christians or worse Christians. Or sure, that. sure. I think it is. We still live, especially in places like the South and even the Midwest, like with like an understanding that people already know the story. Yeah. They are either going to go to church or they don't. Like, right. I, it feels like places like England or New York City mm-hmm. or other places where there are committed churches and committed Christians, they probably have a different perspective on things. Yeah, I think that's true. Ed Stetzer said he'll, he'll continue to go to the UK more often. He's been a little depressed by American evangelicalism lately. And so something like he, I guess, wants to learn more from them. He ends with this. Uh, This is from Thomas Cranmer, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, author of the Book of Common Prayer. Here's some things for us to remember. Care less for the world and more for the next. This world and more for the next. Obey sovereigns out of the fear of God. Be good to all people. Be concerned for the poor. All right. Coming up next, we're going to end our show with something fun. Things that were normal. In the 90s, early 2000s, but are now completely luxurious. People are talking about this, and I want to add to it. When we return, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's the end of the show, and we want to send you away with just some fun. We want to just have some fun for a few minutes. So, Brian, times have changed, right? Things that were normal in the 90s and the early aughts are now considered a luxury. People are talking about this on BuzzFeed. Here's an example. Okay. New furniture made out of real wood. Yes. That's most true. Most go to Ikea now. It's so true. Or Target. And you get like cheap fake wood yep. and you put it together and it doesn't last. But you use, I mean, even I remember being early married to Kevin. Like we still have this like. Very intense wooden like bed frame and headboard that's its own piece of furniture that we bought in the early 2000s. And like it is so sturdy and we bought it brand new, but you don't buy new furniture made of wood anymore. I mean, maybe if you're shopping in a really expensive, luxurious place, but that's the point that it's luxury used to be normal. That is true. Uh, My parents bought all of their furniture when they moved into their house from like not all of it, but a lot of it. From like in Indiana, from the Amish, and it is like oh, super yeah. heavy and strong. Amish. And that's like yeah. good furniture. Yeah. All right, number two, owning the software you purchased. <laughs> that's so interesting because even like me, I got a new computer a few years ago, and I'm still like paying off Microsoft Office month by month. It's and, weird, and like I don't own it. Where you used to like you get a CD and you'd like put it in the CD ROM. I never and you knew how to do that it. either. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yes. This next yeah. one's going to be painful. Oh, paying no more than 30% of your income in rent. That's hard. Oh, that one's so Whether hard. Whether it be rent or mortgage or, mortgage or whatever. It's like what inflation and stuff has done. You start to read. I read something uh, the other day uh, about, and we all know this, but like there was a generation, a generation or two ago, say two generations ago, yeah. where the expectation was the husband had a job, the wife stayed home, mm-hmm. but even with that, you could have a nice home in the suburbs and send your kid to college. Yeah, you could. And own a couple cars even. Like I get now when people that generation like 
they're like, wow, you know, all this complaint. But no, this new generation, it the is amount totally that stuff costs, it's yeah. just, and then student loans and all of this oh, stuff. Oh, and it's student crazy. loans are not what they were when, I mean, when we were even college, the interest rate was so low. It was barely anything. And now it's just disastrous. It, this yeah. is all really crazy. All right. The next one. Ooh. Not being expected to be reachable 24-7. So yeah. we talk about this all we talk the about time this a lot. on here. Uh, the ability to be reached 24-7 is not a good thing. It is a good thing and not a good thing. It is a good and thing and it's not a good thing. it's part of our conscience. Like, yeah. now if I, say, text somebody uh-huh. and they don't text me back within an hour, yes. I'm going, what the heck? I know you yeah. got a phone on you. Yeah. You probably have an Apple Watch. Right. Uh, I was giving my daughter at college a hard time the other day. I'm like, hey, text me back when I text you. Like that kind of deal. And you're like, we did not live in a world like this before where it's now obviously there are great benefits to always being reachable. But I think we're all starting to feel much more of the kind of just the burden of it. The burden of it. Absolutely. It feels burdensome. All right. Here's one. We've talked about this too. Concert ticket prices. I would also say I I tried any ticket prices any ticket prices I was so I think I told you I was trying to get Kevin tickets to like a big comedy show it was Jerry Seinfeld and oh, nice. Jim Gaffigan nine hundred dollars a yep. ticket so it was yep. like we're not going so then I'm like okay I'll go, let me go low key let me go to like a comedian that's like clean and funny and not going to be that popular. $400 a ticket. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. well, not surprising Kevin with that. Like, and the concert tickets are out of control and the line for them. Like, so the amount we spent, I set, uh, told you, I've set, spent, sent my youngest daughter and my wife to Taylor Swift this summer. It yep. was a, it was well worth the money, but it was a lot of money. This is what's hard. Everything is just more expensive. When you talk about entertainment, is, yeah. A couple weeks ago, yeah. two weeks ago, at the spur of the moment, it was Labor Day weekend, spur of the moment. Uh, we drove up on Saturday night, me, Carrie, Jackson, and Emily, we drove up to Milwaukee for a baseball game because I still had $40 worth of gift card to the Brewers Oh, nice! from like a past rainout or yeah. something yeah. that I was afraid I couldn't tell when it was going to expire. It might expire at the end of this season. So yeah. I was like, let's just go. Right. After there being $40 off, once you still get the tickets in the upper deck and you still pay the 30 bucks right. for parking and right. you still... You're like, I still dropped 200 bucks, uh, $150. Uh, and that was with $40 off. with all the discounts. Right. So it is really hard. Now, you are a lover of the movies. Yes. You take your family of five to the movies. It's over $50. And that doesn't even include. Snacks, drinks. Yep. No, it is so crazy. And that's why it's hard for people to, like, I make a wage mm-hmm. that at a certain point in our history would have been exorbitant right at a more recent time in our history you're like barely been making normal would have uh-huh. been normal oh you could do that yeah. that's good yeah. that's great and now is like whoa like this is becoming difficult it's becoming difficult so i had a conversation with somebody recently and i was saying i've got like four jobs i'm doing this i'm doing this I'm doing, <laughs> and it's kind of overwhelming to it's be true. honest like and she said well could you guys change something about your lifestyle so you don't and i was literally like No, like we're not being luxurious. We're not being exorbitant. We're just like braces you could consider a luxury, but like that's what it's going towards. The answer is you can always cut, but it's so around the fringes that it doesn't. What are you going to do? Never go to a movie with your kids and never go out to eat and never. And you can't live that. that. That's not enjoyable. Even that will 
you know, barely all, make a difference. And all apologies to Dave, Dave Ramsey. Yeah. Even that won't make a huge dent. Right. So, yes. Could you never get Starbucks? Yes. Could I you could, never could. get this? Yes. But you know what you're still going to do? You're still going to be like, oh, how are we going to pay for this? Anyway, yeah. The next one is part of it. I'm not, we're not going to keep going on this one. I'll skip to the next okay. one. Number six here is single income families buying a home. Yeah. Almost impossible. It's crazy with the yep. interest rates. Answer it. All right. We're going to okay. get Good quality fabric and clothing. I have clothes from the 90s and the 80s from my mother. This is someone saying this on BuzzFeed that still hold up today. These days, if I'm lucky... If my shirt isn't saggy and misshapen within a year, that's uh, that's definitely true of women's clothing. Is that true say, of men's clothing? I don't even know. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know. Even know. Uh, I'm going to skip down to number nine because mm-hmm. number eight is more belly more aching money about stuff. money. Yep. Number nine, items not requiring a subscription each <laughs> yes, month. This so is true. huge. I'm trying to figure out if we are overspending for our television I right now. I think we definitely are. And I can't. Figure it because out. You've got subscriptions no, no, here no, and there. I don't. I only have DirecTV. Oh, oh. So, but everyone's like, cut the cord and do yeah. this. But then everyone I talk to who's cut the cord and they have multiple subscriptions, yeah. like, we're paying more than, and I can't. Figure yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah. We cut the cord a few years ago and definitely it like for a minute or so, you're like, yes, I'm definitely saving money. But now I'm like, but wait, are we? Like, and this is this is what I think we're doing. I think we're paying for like the Disney Plus Hulu package and Hulu. And ESP, like it's meaning so hard to I keep have a hold the bundle, of, right? but I think I'm also doing individual on accident. Like somehow it's not working the way it's supposed right? to. Yes, it's so. I, I need you, someone. I started by, I need to hire someone to figure this out for me. I called Directv and did the old uh, send me to the to the cancellation department, oh, and, and they I give got you a good a, discount. They do that. Yep, They'll listen yep. to that. Yeah. All right. Uh, got another one you want to share? Household products that don't break within the first few years mm. of use. My Ugh. grandma had the same fridge from 1993 yes. until getting a newer, bigger one two years ago. My mom's wedding cookware is still going strong yes. 25 years later. But whenever she needs new pans, they start flaking Teflon into the food within As a few minutes. As one who has, to bu- has had to buy more microwaves in the last 10 years of my life than like I ever had in the previous 30 years, it's insane it's insane let me read one more because this is this is going to be difficult for you Uh oh what i'm a big family vacation guy so i would say still do it but listen to the ones they use family vacations i remember going on road trips regularly as a kid or even flying once or twice Mm -hmm. now that i have kids i cannot afford a week-long trip to the badlands the grand canyon disney universal studios ready the best I can do is a day trip to Wisconsin Dells maybe once a year. <laughs> Good old Wisconsin Dells coming in clutch for us. All right. Let us know if there's any more things that you miss from the 90s and early 2000s that feel like luxuries now. You can let us know on our social media at Common Good Talk. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. Yes, and you you've are. been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.